never say die. Forty going on fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to forty going on fourteen. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And if there's anything we've learned from the Jurassic Park franchise, it's that after a bunch of people die from dinosaurs, your next move is to bring them to America, where there are less people. Dying from dinosaurs sounds like you had like an infection. Yeah, I got I got issue movies. What? 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 Yes. We'll get to that. I think most people had issues with uh, at least at least the original Jurassic Park too. Yeah, we are we are going over the second of the Jurassic Park movies. We're going over Jurassic Park: Lost World and Jurassic Park. Nope. Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. I think Joel's problem with these movies. Oh, I stepped right over you, Josh. Yep. I'm done. Sorry. No geek (laughs) life radio this week. Fuck you. I was just going to say that Joel's problem with these movies is that there's no shark and no NATO. No. Yeah. That was totally not worth interrupting you. So yeah, that was, that was worth stomping on. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I feel so bad, but that's funny (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) Uh, If you feel like stomping on jokes, (laughs) right. You'll probably find a few on geek life radio. You'll find them on the history of bad ideas, anime trap house, the Day One Patch Podcast, and of course, Geek Life's own Rad Dad Radio Hour, the Schmorgishborg. I'm the man in the box. Is that it? I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah despite Mike's laughter, it. that is not it. Oh, that, that's not it? I think that's You think that's it? I think that was it. You're yeah, going to have to hear it every week. So, yeah. So, if you're looking for more shows. <laughs> You can find our back catalog at Google, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We're on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podcast Addict. Also, we are now on what? Reason. Yes. <laughs> Podcast Addict. We've been over this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just fall right into the bit. <laughs> Podcast Addict. I wish there was a better way for me to say that, but no. that's what Podcast Addict. You could say Addict. <laughs> is this thing on? No. So we're also on Reason.fm. You can get the uh, app on both Apple and Android app stores. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can give us a show idea you'd like to hear. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. You can also join the conversation on our Discord by clicking us the, the Join Us link that's in the show notes. The conversation's been pretty good this week. We've been talking about, I haven't watched a show, but Alligator Loki with something fruity and rivet. Uh, we've also been talking about how to make Tamago Kake Gohan. And Chicago-style hot dogs. Yeah. True. That was today. Yeah. And uh, also discussion on how Josh manages to find the most disturbing gift for any single situation out there. I may not have the quantity of gifts that Joel has, but I have the inverse quality. Yes. Also the inverse relevance. Shove my nose and shit. All right, I'm calling it. It's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. All right, just real quick before we jump in, I think Joel should have said, if he had sung I'm the Borg in the box, maybe that would have been better. I think. The yeah, smorgasbord? Yeah. I just stepped on Josh. <laughs> That's the Shit. theme of the night. We're all going to step on Josh's jokes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fucking T-Rexes. <laughs> That's a whole nother subreddit. So, yeah. uh, anyway, moving on. <clears throat> to what? 
The twee. The twee. Yeah, I don't even know what, what it takes the, us now. What's the twee about? What, the twee. What, this, the this is the release of the first Jurassic Park movie, which is June 11th, 1993, which is probably all the same twee stuff from the first time we did the Jurassic Park it movie. It is not. That's the no? amazing part. I found really? all new stuff. A lot of stuff happened that week then. Huh. All right. Well, let's find out. So, uh, music. The number one song in the land was That's the Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson, if you're nasty. That is a pretty okay Janet Jackson song. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. I do remember it, though. Yeah, that's that's a good way of wrapping it up. It's a pretty okay song. As we've talked about in the past, she's a solid performer, you know. And she's got better songs out there, but that's not a bad song by any stretch. <clears throat> I mean, they can't all be Rhythm Nation. <clears throat> this is a paying the bills one. On June 7th, the 27th annual TNN Music City News Country Awards was broadcast live. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hosted by George Jones, winners included Susie Boggess, Ricky Van Shelton, Alan Jackson, Vince Gill, and George Jones. Huh. So that's the uh, 27th annual TNN MCNCA. <laughs> They're now known as the CMAs. That makes way more sense. <laughs> this is what happens when you give a job to the intern. Right. He, get, he got he got paid by the by the word, so he's like, "Well, let's just give this a real long title." Welcome again to the TNN MCNCAs. <laughs> Double A MCO. Ah, uh, Root Boy Slim was a stage name assumed by American music Foster Mackenzie the Third, who also went by the Duke of Puke. He was born in North Carolina, but raised in Washington D.C.'s Maryland suburbs. The child of wealthy parents, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, <clears throat> excuse me, following an LSD-induced psychotic episode. In the 1970s, he formed his own alternative rock band and an ensemble titled Crying Out Loud. Mackenzie's group was ultimately billed as Root Boy Slim and the Sex Change Band and the Rudies. The band Intense. cultivated a dedicated fan base largely confined to the Washington metropolitan area. Mackenzie died in his sleep in his home in Orlando, Florida at age 48 on June 8th. He was inducted into the Washington Area Music Association Hall of Fame in 2004. Is it is it just going to be like long award show type things tonight? <clears throat> there's so a, like there's the... a lot of there's a lot of meat in this tweet tonight. Wow. And who is well, Root Boy? Mike goes, Step on Sentai. <laughs> Step on Jessica. That was not on purpose. Uh, Damn Mike's it. Mike's issue was with the W A M A H O F. Who who is Root Boy Slim? I, I know Fat know. Boy Slim. I don't know. It was just so many good things in that paragraph. I couldn't not put it in. Root Boy Slim and the Sex Change Band and the Rutets. Schizophrenia from an LSD-induced psychotic episode? That's yeah. fun, too. That's right. Apparently, but, yeah, I mean, that doesn't happen often, like less than 1%, but that can happen. It's like you have some chemical in your brain. The first time you take psychedelics, it's like, you're crazy now. Yep. That's why Welcome I don't to take crazy psychedelics. Town. I don't want to turn crazy. Er. <laughs> Cleveland broke ground for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on June 6th, which, incidentally, is somewhere I'm going on my honeymoon in October. Well, be there in november so so there i'm excited you can, you can meet joel in cleveland and give him a lozenge yes <laughs> i could use one right now apparently <clears throat> good lord all right and finally america's most successful drag artist rupaul released an album on june 8th titled supermodel of the world you better work work it girl do that oh. twirl on the catwalk moving on to movies the number one movie in the land was Jurassic Park, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum. 
It set an opening weekend box office record of $502 million. Not a shocker. Yeah. I saw it three times in the theater myself. I was going to say, I remember I was part of that weekend. I remember going to see see it. Yeah, I did too. I don't think I saw it opening weekend. I think I saw it a couple weeks later. Well, I saw it once in Kansas, once in Missouri, and once in New Jersey. Why? Are there... Did they just keep shutting theaters down? And <laughs> he lost a bet. He had to go to the three worst places to see a movie. <laughs> that can't be true because I saw the, I saw this at the hip. <laughs> I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna dig on Rockford. There, I am very disappointed in you, Mike. <laughs> All right, James Bridges was an American screenwriter, film director, producer, and actor. Bridges was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he got his start as a writer for Alfred Hitchcock Presents. One of his episodes, An Unlocked Window, earned him a 1966 Edgar Award from the Mystery Writers of America. Bridges went on to write and direct a number of notable films, including The Baby Maker, The Paper Chase, The China Syndrome, Urban Cowboy, Perfect, and Bright Lights, Big City. In 1990, Bridges was diagnosed with intestinal cancer, and he died of kidney failure on June 6th, at 57 years old. Damn. Wow. From that career to dying in such a horrible way, man. A double whammy. I know Urban about Cowboy the... is one of my favorite movies. I don't know if really? That's a, that's a random hmm. fact, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Not like I don't think it's like one of the, the best movies, but it's one of my favorite. Hmm. I don't I know all these except for The Baby Maker. I don't think I've ever seen The Paper Chase either. <clears throat> Paper Chase wasn't that the one with uh lawyers and turn into a uh, TV show or turn into a, a show. It was on... about reporters, wasn't it? I thought it was about lawyers. I don't know. Yeah, it was on Showtime. Is like a... Yeah, it was a movie that turned into a show for sure, but I, I thought I'd never watched it. I just yeah, always thought had, it was about uh, reporters. Yeah, John Hausman. That's the guy whose name Yeah, was. yeah. He was in it. And then Bright Lights, Big City. That's another. Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. Good flick. All right. Alexis Smith was a Hollywood actress from the 40s and 50s who, despite being statuesque with blue-slash-green eyes and a seductively husky voice, never really achieved huge popularity despite a long and distinguished career. A smart and strong woman, she lent a touch of class to her leading ladies on and off screen. She was known to directors as an actress who had a relaxed, professional manner on the set. She worked with Errol Flynn, Humphrey Bogart, Stephen Sondheim, and many others. Alexis was seen infrequently on television during the 50s, and she had a recurring role as the homicidal lady Jessica Montfort in Dallas. She was nominated for an Emmy for a guest-starring role on Cheers as Rebecca's former professor. It was fitting, or perhaps ironic, that her last film role in The Age of Innocence was as a New York socialite, the kind of stereotypical persona she had portrayed so often in her heyday. She passed away of brain cancer in Los Angeles on June 9th, the day after her 72nd birthday. Absorbed. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I know who this is. Yeah, she was very unlauded for most of her Hollywood career. She was kind of a uh, typecast uh, bit player female. She took a lot of roles that a lot of the bigger stars wouldn't. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking her up, too. Because if she was on Cheers, then I would have seen her at some point, because I watched that whole series. Yeah, yeah you remember the episode where uh, Rebecca's professor comes to visit her and ends up hitting on Sam, and they end up kind of seeing each other for a while? Vaguely, she, yeah. Yeah, she played the professor. Oh. I'll have to put a picture of her in the show notes. Huh, right. yeah. 
Jordan Paul Fry was born on June 7th. He's best known for his roles as Lewis slash Cornelius Robinson in Meet the Robinsons and as Mike TV in the 2005 film and acronym of the week, C-A-T-C-F, which I'm pretty sure stands for Cocks at the Cock Farm. <laughs> Good delivery on that. Then. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch it. That was on Discovery Channel, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I thought you might have gotten this one because of the Mike TV hint. No, that cock! Is, <laughs> that is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's kind of a cock farm. <laughs> <laughs> Meet the Robinsons is a very underrated animated movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, with the T-Rex with the little bowler hat on. Yeah, the yeah. T-Rex and the whole, um, uh, all the references to the dad looking like Magnum P.I. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw it. You would enjoy it. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I agree with Mike about it being underrated, though. Yeah, the, the, one of the best scenes in it is when they're he's the villain sends a T Rex to go capture the kid, and the kid stands in a corner, and the T Rex can't get him, and he's like talking back to the boys. He's like, "I've got a really big head and really short arms, and I don't think you thought this through." <laughs> it's a great movie. All right, so TV the top shows in the land were sixty minutes, Home Improvement, Seinfeld, and Roseanne. It was the nineties. So very nineties. Yeah. TV shows that debuted this week were South Beach, Rumor Has It, Trivial Pursuit, Cutters, John and Lisa from Hollywood, and Caesar's Challenge. Good lord. I don't know I, that I I don't know any of these. Yeah, I don't remember. There was a Trivial Pursuit like game show on TV. Yeah, apparently for a short time. Huh. All right. So now on the other side of things. <clears throat> yeah, TV the episodes show... never ended because they kept going around and around trying to get the pink square. <laughs> 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 it's moops. <laughs> so some TV shows that ended this week were The Torkelsons, <laughs> Scrabble, <laughs> Shining Time Station, eh. Parker Lewis Can't Lose. That was Aww. a uh, Ferris Bueller spinoff. I thought well, it was like a ripoff. Well, uh, didn't it have like at the end of every show it had uh, Ferris and Cameron making comments about the, the kids? Not that I I'm, I remember watching Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I liked it, but I don't remember that. Yeah, I think I think they actually <clears> had like that was supposed to be like anyway. I guess that I guess it was a spinoff. At least uh, for, I, I never watched Parker Lewis Can't Lose, so I can't uh, really comment. And myself. then Harry and the Hendersons, which was a TV show. Scrabble ended, and Trivial Pursuit began. In general, just looking at what started and what ended, like not that I had a big connection to a lot of the stuff that ended, but it looks like in general it's kind of a downgrade. I'm looking up the Torkelsons. I do not remember this show. <laughs> well, Shining Time it's Station a, is the one with... Uh... It's about Turk and Carla, the Torkelsons. <laughs> oh, Turk <God>. Torkelson. <laughs> yeah, Shining Time Station was... The one with the train with yeah, the face. Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. Is that Ringo's... the one that George Carlin was on? Uh, George Carlin and Ringo Starr both played the uh, yeah. conductor on that. Uh, the Torkelsons, a sensitive teenager is embarrassed by her working class family. 33 episodes. Was on the air for two years. Well, that sounds like quality right there. All huh. right. So on uh, June 16th, while the guest on Yo! MTV Raps, Tupac Shakur confessed to physically assaulting film directors Albert Hughes and Alan Hughes in retaliation for his firing from the film Menace to Society. Well, I mean, if you're going to confess, I mean, you know, why not on Yo! MTV Raps? There you go. I mean, it's huh. a good place to try to build your, your street cred if you want to talk about what a thug you are. That's a place to go, I suppose, at the time. Pat, Pat do you hate yourself? I'm just looking at the sports section here. <laughs> right? Good Lord. 
Yeah, there was there was a lot of good stuff this week. <clears throat> Hold on, I gotta buckle up. <laughs> oh great, yeah, my dog would pick now to start eating. Hold, I'm seriously gonna we're, we're gonna have to pause. Hold. Okay. Because she's gonna be way too loud. All right, so I looked it up. The Parker Lewis Can't Lose is a spinoff from the Ferris Bueller TV show that lasted one season after Ferris Bueller, the movie. With Which Parker Lewis was on for, I, I mean, I seem to remember it being a thing for a little while, but I could be wrong. Yeah, Charlie Shatler mm-hmm. played Ferris Bueller. And I, I just remember Kubiak because then he was on ER and I was like, Kub, every time he came on. Hmm. So anyway, sports. Yes, so so sports. (laughs) On June 7th, Graham Gooch became one of only five players in ODI cricket to be dismissed for handling the ball and the only player of the five to be dismissed after scoring a century. Playing defensively to try to get a match draw against Australia, Gooch blocked a short ball from Merv Hughes. The ball flicked off his bat and fell to the stumps, prompting Gooch to instinctively punch the ball away and resulting in his dismissal. Australia won the match by 179 runs. Oof. Now, this is funny because in Meet the Robinsons, the villain is called Gooch. <laughs> and this is going on while you're reading it. I'm seeing the villain from Meet the Robinsons doing this. Whoa. Yeah. And his Parker, little Parker Lewis Can't Lose lasted 73 episodes. It was on the air for three years. You wish to go back in the conversation? I do. Did. Whoa, why did my Google all of a sudden light up? I do! I was afraid that I wasn't <laughs> muted for that enormous belch. <laughs> all right, moving on in sports. Drazen Petrovic was a Yugoslav and Croatian professional basketball player who started playing professionally at 15 years old. A shooting guard, he initially achieved success playing professional basketball in Europe in the 1980s before joining the NBA in 1989. He was one of the first European players to come to the NBA, starting a wave of international players fleeing to the NBA for bigger paychecks. On June 7th, two days before the NBA Finals, Petrovic's career and life were cut short when he died in a car accident in Croatia at the age of 28. Yikes. Damn, that sucks. Yeah, he was riding passenger in a car with his girlfriend, and he was asleep, and just they they ran into a truck that slammed that, that came across the median trying to avoid somebody. And head-on collision, and he was dead, never even woke up. Well, I suppose if you're going to go out like that, being asleep is probably best. Yeah, the two girls in the car were not as lucky. They lived through it and had some pretty bad injuries. All right, moving on from that fun note. Yay. <laughs> Johnson Petrovic, by the way, was one of my favorite players, and I was kind of devastated when that happened. I was, uh, I, I would, yeah, I was a fresh little what, 21 years old at the time, 22 years old. He, he was a guy I really liked. All right. At the final game of the Stanley Cup Finals on June 9th, the Montreal Canadiens beat the LA Kings 4-1 for a 4-1 series win. It was the Canadian franchise's 24th NHL championship. Yay. Nothing to say about hockey. (laughs) I went to a couple hockey games. It's a lot more fun to watch live. Yeah, they are way more fun live. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and here's the fun one. Uh, This is a fun cricket fact or fun cricket paragraph. Arthur Lindsay Hassett, MBE, was a cricketer who played for Victoria and Australia. The diminutive Hassett was an elegant middle-order batsman described as, quote, a master of nearly every stroke. His superb timing, nimble footwork, and strong wrists enabled him to make batting look a simple matter, end quote. 
Selected for the 1938 tour of England with only one first-class century to his name, Hassett established himself with three consecutive first-class tons at the start of the campaign. Although he struggled in the tests, he played a crucial role in Australia's win in the fourth test with a composed display on the, in the run chase which sealed the retention of the Ashes. Upon returning to Australia, he distinguished himself in domestic critic cricket with a series of high scores, becoming the only player to score two centuries in a match against Bill O'Reilly, widely regarded as the best bowler in the world. However, the eruption of World War II interrupted Hassett's progress. With first-class cricket cancelled, he enlisted in the 2nd Australian Imperial Force, serving in the Middle East and New Guinea. At the advanced age of 32, Hassett began his test cricket career in earnest and became a, more, a mere sedate, cautious player who often frustrated spectators with his slow scoring. A cheerful character with a poker face that aided his captaincy, Hassett was known for his ability as an ambassador for Australia, his sense of humor, and his diplomatic skills. He died June 16th at his home. Richard Benoit, or Benoit, or whatever, however you pronounce that, wrote of him, There are others who have made more runs and taken more wickets. Very few have ever gotten more out of a lifetime. In 2003, he was inducted into the Cricket Hall of Fame. That's a wonderful story. However, we have new words. Yes. Okay. I don't know what a first class ton is, and what the hell does it mean when you have re when you retain the ashes? Yes. I do know the answer to that one because I did look that up. I was curious enough. The ashes is a specific match between Australia and England where they have a ceremonial urn that is you know that remain that kind of that that represents their rivalry, and whoever wins gets to keep the urn. So it's kind of like the Crosstown Classic in Chicago, except with a urn of ashes. Yeah, with an actual, yeah, something that represents it. Because, like, somebody at one point, like, 100 years ago said something about something being ashes, and it turned into a literal thing, and now it's like, yeah, an actual thing that they have to trade back and forth. To yeah, okay, but the, the urn they keep uh, Grandma Crickets remains <laughs> in. <laughs> what, the, what, but what does, okay, for three consecutive first-class tons. I mean... A I, century is getting a hundred, so a ton's got to be like maybe it's like two thousand runs. Two thousand, yeah. Or yeah, what, whatever a ton would be in metric, yeah. Then that many runs in a career, maybe, or in a season, or something. Who the hell knows? I mean, that makes sense. He had three it, consecutive first class tons at the start. Of, yeah, oh, wait, I mean, at the start of the campaign. Yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> uh, <laughs> talking out of your ass at this point. Yeah, that, right. yeah. Either way, new cricket <laughs> words. Everybody drink. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna finish up the, this long ass tweet. I'm gonna play us off keyboard, Joel. Da -da 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 -da. Ashes. <laughs> Before we get into it, I realized that we didn't mention that we've actually got voicemails, but we got so many voicemails that we're gonna have to take a fucking second. Yeah, there's. Oh we, yeah. We 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 appreciate the voicemails. We did get voicemails, but we we need time to absorb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after a glut of, of none, then we now have a flood of mini. Yes, we have a plethora of voicemails. <laughs> All right, so Jurassic Park 2, Jurassic Park The Lost World, came out uh, shortly after the immense success of the first one. This one is directed by a then-unknown director by the name of Steven Spielberg. Hmm. Yeah. Is he still working? He's he's do I I hope he's getting some work because there's there's things about this movie. Uh this is written by Michael Crichton as writing credits. Now some of the things I looked up on Michael Crichton, because his credits go way back. So he was credited for writing ER, the TV show, 
Westworld, The Andromeda Strain, Sphere, Coma, and The Great Train Robbery. So Not the silent film. Not the silent film. The one with um, Donald Sutherland and uh, Sean Connery. Thank you. I was like, I know the other person. In the... <laughs> I couldn't call it to my brain. He's a little known actor by the name of Sean Connery. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, he yeah. had a career, small career. Yeah, he had some stuff going on. So also, this is writing credits also with David Coop, who did Toy Soldiers. Now, at first I thought it was the one with the little action figures. That's not true. It's one with Sean Astin, where in the military school. Yeah, I was just about to say by, the military academy. Yeah. yeah, where they get attacked by terrorists. Uh, and the song. And the song, yes. By Martika. Toy Soldiers. Yes. Death Becomes Her, Carlito's Way, The Shadow, Panic Room, and Spider-Man 2002. Hmm. Carlito's way is very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Panic Room. It was. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, it was pretty decent. It was all right. Death Becomes Earth. That's pretty fun. So in this movie, we have Jeff Goldblum coming back as Ian Malcolm, Julianne Moore showing up as Sarah Harding, Pete Postlewaite. Did I say that right? Postlewaite. But yeah, that's close. Very close. Very close. As Roland Tembo, Arliss Howard as Peter Ludlow, doing his best. I'm the food critic from Ratatouille. <laughs> I thought it was Bob Balaban at first. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Uh, Richard Attenborough comes back for a short time as John Hammond. Vince Vaughn shows up as Nick Van Owen. Vanessa Chester as Kelly Curtis. Peter Stormare as Dieter Stark. Harvey Jason as A.J. Sidhu. Richard Schiff as Eddie Carr. Thomas F. Duffy as Dr. Robert Burke. And I added him, Thomas Rosales Jr. as Carter. I have issue with Carter. I mean, considering how many times he was the only like henchman that got mentioned by name, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that, right. that and the fact, who the hell brings headphones to a dino- dinosaur-infested island? Carter. 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 <laughs> and after the shit that you just saw, you're going to put headphones on and be totally cut off from everything going on around. I you. want backstory on Carter because Carter don't give a fuck. Carter, yeah, <laughs> Carter. Carter got nothing to go back to. <laughs> So he's making his life the best right now. I know dinosaurs running around, but Carter's making his best time right now. He's like, if I go back home, my wife, she she doesn't shut up. So whatever. I'm, I'm fine with just dying here listening to my music. <laughs> All right. So some trivia on this one. Julianne Moore admitted that she did this movie to pay off a divorce settlement and also to work with Steven Spielberg. In that order. In that order, yes. Uh, the movie held the record for the biggest opening weekend in history from May 1997 until November 2001, when it was surpassed by Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So that's cool. Also, director Steven Spielberg had to attend an early screening for Swingers in order to give approval for the use of the Jaws uh, 1975 Jaws theme. In watching Swingers, he was so impressed by Vince Vaughn that he offered him a part in the movie. So money, baby. How cool is that? That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. I'm sure Vince was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I love Vince Vaughn. Also, Joe Johnson lobbied for the director's job, but schedule, prog- schedule problems during the post-production of the Jumanji movie forced him out. Steven Spielberg was also adamant to direct the sequel himself, promising Johnson the director's chair for the third movie, which he then directed, and we all know how that went. Talking Raptors. But we'll find out when we do that show. Yabba dabba do. It is coming. Yeah, yeah the is. next Jurassic Park is due in what, 2022? Yep. Uh, also, there was a special gadget that was developed for the movie strobe lights built into the theaters. So theaters had installed strobe lights into the walls, 
and projectionists had to put some metal markers on the film itself whenever there was a flash in the movie that triggered the lights in the audience. The problem is that there is not a single flash in the whole movie. So after having installed the, the whole system, which is rather expensive, there was actually no correct moment to put the markers in. In their despair, most of the projectionists put the markers in somewhere during the storm scenes that resulted in either a cascade of strobe lights or none at all. So it was a different experience for watching it in different theaters, depending on where they put these little metal markers in. They did, however, warn the audiences that they're testing out in this new strobe light uh, technology for the movie. I did not see strobe lights when I when I saw this. Jurassic Park 2, seizures. That I don't think I saw this in the theater. I, yeah, I did not, actually. I didn't either. No? Nope. Yeah, I did. Womp womp. So it's obviously not a first viewing for any of us. Well, wait, Patrick? No, you said the new one was new for you. Right. Mm -hmm. But you had or hadn't seen this one? I have seen this one. As I just said, I did not see it in the theater either, but okay. I have seen it. Yeah. That's I what saw, I thought. I saw it in a uh, <clears throat> a hotel room on the cable station provided by the hotel. Which was Marriott. HBO, I think. <laughs> room 203. <laughs> so sitting on the Yeah, if you really want to get that specific, yeah. It was a... It was a um, what do they call it? Uh, Embassy Suites? I'm guessing oh. this is probably a second viewing for most of us, though. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've actually seen it several times. Having a, my son is, uh, dinosaurs are, are and always have been his thing. So uh, I've, I've seen this multiple times. He's a dinophile. He is a, uh, a, certainly a huge fan of dinosaurs. What do they call it? Paleophile? What is, I mean, is there a term for it? I don't know if there's a specific. I don't, I don't know if I would go toss around the phrase paleophile. Yeah, paleophile right. is probably not the right yeah. word. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. sound right. That'll, that'll, there'll be a double take if you say my son is a paleophile. Someone's and as, gonna... much, as much as he likes this movie, he'll tell you that it is, it is nowhere near the book, it, either in uh, tone or story or being as good as the mm. actual book here's the thing though is i had really <clears throat> poor memories of this particular movie and this was not as bad as i remember see i i'm with you on this one it's not as bad as i remember but it's not as good as i wanted it to be in my head well i mean basically the first like sure there are some baffling character decisions sure i'll give anybody that but like maybe not reaching the heights of the original, but like until you get back to, was it San Francisco? Diego. It's not great, but it's fine. Yeah. San Diego. When it turns into a, a riff on Godzilla. Well, and I'm surprised that didn't come up in the trivia or it didn't. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> no, it, it did not. Uh, basically that was the thing Spielberg decided he wanted to make his own version of Godzilla and just tacked an entire mini Godzilla movie onto the end. Like, that's not how it was supposed to end. Hmm. And it felt tacked on, too. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons, like, when people go back and think, yeah, no, that wasn't very good. Most people, I think, are uh, thinking of the ending and uh, how the uh, T-Rex didn't look as good uh, running through suburban streets as he did in the jungle in the first one. She. Yep. Sarah does that to me all the time. <laughs> There's only one male dinosaur in Jurassic Park. Yes, I know. You're not screwing me, so it's really annoying when you do it. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one male dinosaur, and it's your mom. I mean, I've stepped on your jokes a couple times, so I screwed you pretty good. 
Well, out of the gate, in my opinion, you got this, which which was supposed to be kind of a terrifying, emotion-provoking scene of the mother discovering her daughter getting chomped on by the compies, which immediately turns into a subway joke of him yawning. There's some weird cuts in this. There's some, you like you said, Josh. There's some weird decisions made by the cast member, by the uh, characters in this movie. And first off, <laughs> I know it comes up later, but Ian Malcolm and Sarah, they got a weird relationship. How do you just not mention that you're leaving the country to your boyfriend? Well, I mean, they kind of establish that she they, travels a lot, and yeah. that he would react the way he reacted, even though he turned out to be right. Like that's, she, that's, she don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is not the least realistic thing uh, or consistent thing about uh, her character. Oh yeah, like, she's also she, a terrible scientist. Right. She starts out telling everybody how careful and respectful you have to be around these creatures, and then the first thing she does is she touches it. Yeah. Like the first time she sees one, she touches it. Yeah. Well, as me... Malcolm said, she can't not touch. <clears throat> yeah. Speaking of which, I'm not saying Malcolm didn't have it. It seemed like Malcolm left John Hammond's estate and went straight to this place to take off. I know. That's great. Fine. You're going to go rescue your girlfriend from the clutches of the evil dinosaurs or the dinosaurs, whatever. Dude, get out of the leather pants. You're going into the jungle. <laughs> right? Yeah, he was wearing dress shoes. In your the dress jungle. shoes, leather pants, and a leather sport coat while you're going into the jungle. I know you have an image to, to do, but just stop off. You know, at a at a hardware store or something, yeah. and pick up something. Jungle's not the place to be wearing Italian loafers. Right. Hit the Banana Republic. <laughs> Buy yourself some galoshes or something. Uh you know, I think this movie uh, unfortunately suffers from the fact that the first film was so huge and so amazing, and every kind of blew everybody's minds that it's kind of hard to recapture that in a bottle again. Because you've already, you know, showed off the special effects and the dinosaurs and the, uh, you know, kind of the the grandest spectacle of it all. The, where are you going to go from there? Because you can't do that all again. So mm-hmm. I, I well, feel they, like... It, they, they proved you wrong. I was going to say, they <laughs> clearly can. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like that first shot where where uh, they, they show the dinosaurs out in the field and they're first getting to the island and it's just kind of this like... Oh, wow. You know, this kind of big, holy crap, this is real kind of moment. Well, here we've already established that dinosaurs exist now and they're on the, the island. And yeah, so I think that it suffers a little bit because it, it it is hard to kind of figure out where to go from there, potentially. Although they had a book that they could have followed. Yeah. Well, it's it's hard to, to replicate the wonder of the first movie when we've already had the first movie, like you said. Right. Yeah. There were also just a few uh, kind of off-character bits. Like, I get that Vince Vaughn's character is secretly also, like, a uh, eco-terrorist. Yeah. Which, his littering doesn't really jive with that. That was, like, the <laughs> first thing we noticed. <laughs> throwing his gum wrapper on the floor of the jungle. Well, that's his way of being a saboteur. Well, I, I didn't think he was, like, an eco-terrorist. I thought he was just a saboteur in general. No, they talk about the organization he belonged to. Yeah, but he, didn't he say he was only there for the women? He said that of where he went to go film. But oh, like, okay. Yeah, but I mean, I kind of agree with Mike. I, th- I think he was a little less idealistic and a little more just uh, uh, selfish. A little well, more Vince Vaughnish. 
Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he took it seriously enough to take away the hunter's bullets when he was in the middle of a jungle full of dinosaurs, which seems to me like bad self-preservation instincts. Yeah. Right. Like, that's mm. not the time to take your stand on hunting. <laughs> Let him shoot the dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a weird flex at that point. Like, and and speaking of bad decisions, okay, we have the T-Rex baby. Let's bring it into the trailer. And the phone starts ringing. It's not like it's a telemarketer. You know that phone is ringing for a second because people who should be in the trailer with you are not in the trailer. They're calling and they ignore that phone so many times until the point where Ian Malcolm has come down outside of the hidey hole up in the sky and and get in there. And also them holding onto the rope and that trailer falling and missing all of them is the biggest physics big middle finger I've ever seen. Yeah, but it makes no for an exciting shot. There's no way they would have survived that. No, it would. They would have been. They would have been shaking around like ice in a cocktail stir. Like, yeah. <laughs> and second of all, yeet that baby <laughs> out the front door. Do not place. Just get rid of that baby. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the one of the well, speaking of issues with the film, one of the things that I wish that they would have reconsidered was the little girl stowing away. I, I get that it it creates. Uh, you got to have another kid in the movie to for everybody mm-hmm. to worry about and relate to and all that crap. I, I guess maybe that's to attract a young, you know, the younger audience again or whatever. But this kind of false uh, additional threat that you know you got to protect her and she's this little kid. Uh, it's false it just, drama. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seemed unnecessary. It seemed like they could have taken you know her out of the plot. Because you know they're never going to kill her for one. You know. Right. Take her out of the plot. It wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have made a difference with how the movie flowed or what happened to the characters. It just it it's it's bothered me every time I've seen it. I'm always like, why does why does she exist in this? Because she's got to do the flippy flippy thing and knock the raptor out the window. That and that. Yeah. Was leading up to my point of the gymnastics. You've got Chekhov's gymnastics. Yeah. I don't know. Still less annoying than I'm a hacker. From the first I've one. Seen, I've seen this system before. Now, I, I do have a question uh, on uh, how uh, the heck did that girl <laughs> trash that trailer so quick? You obviously don't have 13 year old daughters. <laughs> I was going to say, you got two daughters. <laughs> Why they you don't do that. that? Like, <laughs> like, I, you have raised two girls. How can you even possibly question that? They have, that place was a wreck. They're like Kit Kat, gar, Kit Kat bars all over the place. They, I don't. <laughs> Or crackle, crackle—that's what she was eating. Yeah, crackle obviously product. paid for some product placement. Yeah, seriously. Uh, uh, uh. I don't know why that oh, got you. Calm down, and, Dennis. And the burger joke—they're hanging from a rope in the middle of this trailer that's gonna fall at any second. What do you need? And and they—it was they, a little too cutesy. A little too, yeah, hundred percent too cutesy. Yeah. Stupid and takes you entirely out of the scene. Because in the meantime, Eddie should not have died. Eddie is the only guy who did everything right in this movie. Well, that's why he has to die. That's the rule. Right. I know. And it pisses me off. Eddie should not have died, especially in the way he did. Getting torn in half like a like a wishbone. Jeez. Yeah, like, like he was an asshole that needed to be dealt with, like, like, like the first the lawyer in the first movie. Right. Yeah. Now, P- he Peter Stormare, that. he turned out to be an asshole. He always he always always. a good asshole. I was just yes. going to say, he almost always does, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> That's his typecasting. Now, yep. in this movie, the Vince Vaughn character versus the Peter Stormare character, who wins? Uh, probably Peter Stormare. Yeah, Peter Stormare, oh. I think. Stormare? 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 I don't know. He, he d- had no sense of self-preservation. He was fucking with dinosaurs for no reason. 
Yeah, well, if we're just yeah. talking a one-on-one like fight, yeah, I, I think Stormare wins. I mean, yeah, I don't think that uh, Vaughn's character agrees to a one-on-one fair fight. True. I think he he ambushes him. Mm-hmm. Probably right. Another question. Yeah, but that I... little girl, man, if she'd busted out some more gymnastics, she could take them both out. <laughs> <laughs> Another question I have is the super scientist, you know, Sarah Harding, just worked on the baby T-Rex. Why is she still wearing that jacket covered in T-Rex blood? Right. <laughs> and why does no one at any point say, uh, maybe you want to ditch that? I mean, the dude even noticed it. Yeah. And, and he doesn't like, say anything. No, no reason to say anything about this. No, there's no danger in traveling with this woman with a blood-soaked tyrannic, with a T-Rex blood-soaked jacket. No danger. Made no sense. And then eventually, it get, eventually the T-Rex smells it, winds up with its head in her tent. And what does she do? She gathers up the crackle bars and the graham crackers. Yeah. Because that's what the T-Rex smelled. <laughs> He's like, I really want a s'mores. <laughs> they are delicious. I, he holds it up and says, or she holds it up and goes, hmm, I could go for a crackle right now. Rawr. It's product placement. The, the T-Rex would do that. <laughs> Rawr. Oh, well, thank you for clearing that up. It saved it. it was in danger of not being funny until you cleared that up. And then Rawr. The, after the T Rex <laughs> <You shut up. laughs> after the T Rex attacks, they all go running off into the into the long grass. The lawyer guy stays up. No, no, don't run off into the long grass. Yeah, you know what? I'll come with you. <laughs> Again, he's screaming and yelling, Don't do this and then after two seconds he's like, Alright, fine, I'll join well, you. Well it can't be a bad idea if everybody's doing it. I know. Yeah. I will say this though, that, that overhead shot of the guys running through the grass. Yeah. And like the the Velociraptors like jaws coming up out of the back. Pretty badass. Pretty, that was pretty cool. That whole them just tracking them down. Yeah, just really yeah, really cool. Yeah. Then they get to the building that runs Oh, all the electronics are gonna work because this runs on geothermal energy. That's not how geothermal energy works. Well, isn't I don't that, know enough about geothermal it, energy to argue. Isn't it geothermal stuff where they, like, tap down into the water below your house to cool the house? Not necessarily. This okay. would just be them using uh, the heat source of whatever the volcano is as probably uh, a steam turbine. Okay. Yeah, that, that, like, the bigger problem is that if your electronics are in shit shape, it doesn't matter whether the uh, power is still on or not. Yeah which exposed to the elements, nothing should have turned on. But, you know, for all of these nitpicks, like, I remember this movie being a sack of crap, and it wasn't great, but it was not nearly that bad. It's better than part three. Better than Spoiler. three, still nice and popcorn-y. Yes, yeah, it's it's definitely a good, like, summer popcorn movie that you watch with some friends and enjoy the dinosaur action. And like you say, you've got those shots like the Raptors uh, headed for all of those guys taking them out. Uh, I mean, that's a classic Spielberg, just great action shot. Mm -hmm. Now, after they get back to the mainland, what happened to Vince? Vince Vaughn, Nick Van Owen completely disappears from the plot. But then I thought about it, I wrote that in my notes, but now I'm thinking about it. It's probably because he wasn't around to make the second, that last half that uh, Spielberg wanted. Right, Josh? Uh, yeah, I don't know about Vince Vaughn's specific like role after that happened, but uh, that you could be right. Maybe he had already gone on to do other things. Yeah. You want to come back, do this? Nah, I'm cool. And then when they bust into the uh, the video store, you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger as King Lear, 
and Tom Hanks in something called Tsunami Sunrise. And uh, Robin Williams in Jack and the Beanstalks. <clears throat> oh, I missed that one. Yeah. Yeah, we, we uh, went back and looked at all of those. Nice. That was a uh, lot of fun. Okay, so I looked this up. It says when uh, – uh, hold on. <laughs> When Eddie went to save them, he managed to secure a rope for Nick, Ian, and Sarah to escape. However, he was eaten by a T-Rex. Wait, that's not... Eddie's not Nick. No, I was like, wait, that's Eddie. Yeah. Eddie's not Nick? Eddie's not Nick. Nick Apparently is not Eddie. That... Spoilers, dude. Nick, Nick left before Ian and Sarah went to interfere in Ludlow's plans and therefore had no part in San Diego, the San Diego incident after he headed home. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing Nick Van Owen being the kind of guy who's like, you know, it's been fun. I'm out. Yep, escapes the island in a helicopter with the other gatherers. Okay, and so I will you guys say, are right. in the end of the movie, the T Rex has an amazing sense of mood because when the uh, the food critic lawyer goes down into the hold to grab the baby T Rex, suddenly the T Rex can tiptoe and be <laughs> as quiet as possible going What's onto it? that boat. It must be related to the one from the very first movie who knew how to move quietly in, until the dramatic moment of right. reveal. They both have they both have great sense of of timing and yeah. reveal. Stealth, six tons of of animal that can tiptoe. That's dangerous. It's like Tiny Tim. Yeah, and then at the end we got the speech from Hammond about how we have to how he's turned. To, you know, Hammond just needs to shut the hell up at this point. Yeah, you've done enough. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I had fun. Yeah, and honestly, it would have been almost a worthy successor without that ending. Mm-hmm. I will say it, this. I enjoyed this less as the laughing, like laughing and enjoying what's going on for the Jurassic Park one and more of a laughing and rolling my eyes for this one. It was still fun to watch, though. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a fun movie. So, yeah. Rawr. I mean, I don't yeah, have much well, more to say about it other than, yeah, I guess it's kind of a fun movie. I mean, yeah. So I'm yeah, not going to argue that point. So It was I... a bit of a misstep to uh, show the dinosaurs in, in like suburban areas where they look a whole lot less real than they did in the first earlier movie. Honestly, without that, you've just got a couple of questionable character decisions. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we've gotten as far as we can with this one we're gonna take a little break and then when we come back we're gonna talk about jurassic world fallen kingdom but in Boom. the meantime please enjoy this musical interlude for the geek life radio artisan song of the week which is ukula the mock with welcome to the con do you know ukula the mock joel i do not con <laughs> ariel ukula to me <laughs> <clears throat> All nice right. reference, bro. I was going to say, who knew I could do Thunder of the Barbarian? I think you've come to the right place. Welcome to the con. Welcome to the con. When Hans, Dorsi, furry elves, get down with your nerdy selves. All right, we are back, and we're going to talk about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, it's funny. One of the reasons I was the one that suggested the show and one of the reasons why I got back into Jurassic Park when I did is because they uh, a bunch of things happened all at once. Uh, they announced the third one. They announced the sequel to the video game Jurassic World Evolution, and I discovered I owned the first one. 
And that's basically a computer game where you're doing like theme park, but you are actually doing park management sim with Jurassic Park, like all of the five islands. Neat. Yeah. And so like after playing this for a few days, I was like, wait, I never saw the second one. So I went back and watched it. And then it was like everything sort of came together with them announcing the third one coming out. So I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time to go back to this. Well, I know the second Jurassic Park wasn't very well received, but let's compare that to the second Jurassic World and see what we all thought about it. So that's how we got here. Yeah, it was a good idea. Yeah, I agree. So we've got Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. When the island's dormant volcano begins roaring to life, Owen and Claire mount a campaign to rescue the remaining dinosaurs from this extinction-level event. So this is directed by J.A. Bayonet. Bayona. Bayona. Who also did The Impossible, something starring Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor, The Orphanage, A Monster Calls, which is... A movie about a son, a kid dealing with his mother's terminal illness from getting help from a giant tree creature, as you do. The writing credits come from Derek Connolly, who did Safety Not Guaranteed, Monster Trucks, Kong Skull Island, and Detective Pikachu. Also in this was Colin Trevorrow, who did Rise of the Skywalker, Jurassic World Dominion coming up, and plots for a bunch of Jurassic World Lego games. See, I like a lot of these things that we're talking about here. Like, I, I don't necessarily think all of them are high cinema, but like Monster Trucks was fun. <clears throat> Kong Skull Island was fun. Detective Pikachu, uh, I thought was like, maybe not film of the year, but it was uh, legitimately a good time. Better and better than it, I was anticipating it being. If you've not seen Safety Not Guaranteed, that's a little weird, but fun. That's a time travel one, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Mark and I saw the trailers and... for The Impossible, and uh, the scenes of when the tsunami hits uh, look pretty badass for, like, a sort of real-world disaster. I think it's loosely adapted from a true story. Yeah, during the uh, the tsunamis that hit Indonesia. Yeah, Thailand, yeah. Thailand. Sri, Sri Lanka. No? 2012? Oh, 2004. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're mixing up your tsunamis again. Damn it, I do that so often. So this returns Chris Pratt as Owen Grady. Bryce Dallas Howard as Claire Deering. Rafi Spall. Am I saying that right? Rafe. Rafe Spall as Eli Mills. Justice Smith as Franklin Webb. Daniela Pineda as Zia Rodriguez. James Cromwell as Benjamin Lockwood. Toby Jones, with a very unusual accent he decided to use, as Mr. Eversall. Ted Levine. I mean, he does he does that in terms of like a lot of his characters have funky accents, and, and we uh, blasted past uh, Daniela Pineda before I could say anything. She's been cast in Cowboy Bebop. She's going to be playing Faye Valentine. Oh, she is. Yeah, that's awesome. That fits. Uh, Ted Levine is Ken Wheatley. Jeff it Goldblum puts the raptor in the basket. <laughs> uh, Jeff Goldblum comes back as Ian Malcolm for a short time. B D Wong is Doctor Wu. Geraldine Chaplin is Iris and all the wrinkles in the world. Uh, and Isabella Sermon is Maisie Lockwood. I was glad to see B.D. Wong just from uh, the first Jurassic World into this as kind of the through line. Uh, it actually felt weird not seeing him in Jurassic Park 2. Yeah, he's basically one of the mainstays outside of being Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some trivia on this one. Sam Neill was asked if he would return to the franchise as Dr. Alan Grant. And he responded, you never say never, but I think it's moved on. It's different times. Later, he was cast in the third of the movies, Jurassic <laughs> World Dominion, because he went, that's yep. a buttload of money that I could be making with you guys. 
Yeah, they're getting him and uh, why am I blanking? Laura Dern. Laura Dern back for the next one. Nice. Yep. And I think the kids are coming back too. Nice. All right. So when Claire and Franklin are confronted by the Baryonics in the underground. Baryonics. Thank you. In the underground bunker, while streams of lava begin falling from the roof, the lava would ultimately be crafted as a digital effect, but during filming, they needed a way to generate a stream of light that would interact with the set and the actors. Any kind of practical lights or LED panels in the place of the stream's lava would be too intrusive, so they set cat litter on fire. <laughs> that's not intrusive. Yeah, that's not. We had this crack in the ceiling filled with cat litter that had been soaked in some sort of flammable <laughs> liquid, describes David Vickery, the effects guy. There were 12 different nozzles that could drop this cat litter at different points, and that would give us these huge, beautiful streams of liquid fire that dropped down from the ceiling. It also gave this wonderful interactive lighting and a really interesting, billowing, smoky atmosphere, and probably smelled like ass. It had a lot of confused cats. It also spawned the sci-fi original Lava Cats. <laughs> I mean, credit to them for I finding know. a way to, to, to do it, but on the other side, it's kind of gross. What? <laughs> That's cool. No, I'm... I'm... That's really neat. Yeah. Now, was it used cat litter? No. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively certain it was just regular cat litter. That shit's flammable. So in an inter- interview yeah. with uh, Jeff Goldblum, ven- uh, interview with Venture, Vulture. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> interview with Vulture. Jeff Goldblum <laughs> said. Interview with Coles. Coles, cat litter. said that he doesn't mind at all when he gets asked to essentially play himself on the big screen. People write Jeff Goldblumy parts and they want me to do them. And that's fine, he said. I think I can do an even better version of it. So no, this little Jeff Goldblum bro that I'm hoeing right now is still adventurous. And I appreciate that because I like seeing Jeff Goldblum just doing Jeff Goldblum. I like how he's leaned into being weird in his old age. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just like Nicolas Cage. In a yeah, little different way. The undertone of skeevy that comes with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum is the wacky uncle that you kind of you want to hang out with at the Christmas, Christmas family Christmas party. The other ones are like he's yeah, but Nicolas Cage is the uncle you actually get to hang out with. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if they're both at a party, you'd have your eyes on both of them at all times, but for different reasons. <laughs> you'd be more concerned about what Nicolas Cage might do next. Yeah, you need to keep him in your eyesight, <laughs> right? <laughs> See, Jeff Goldblum would be at the piano playing a song, and Nicolas Cage would be doing kung fu dance moves. Or I just thought you were going to say he'd be doing cocaine off of that piano. <laughs> Maybe. Also, the uh, they had a blue animatronic was created to lie down on the table depicting the animal's injured state, while the character of Zia operated on the creature. Up to 12 puppeteers hidden under the operating table were needed to control the animatronics during filming. I appreciate and that. And I think it shows. Like, in a lot of cases, the uh, dinosaurs, uh, when they had a lot of practical effects, they looked really good again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, to uh, to quote Dr. Hammond, we spared no expense. Who's who's Dr. Hammond? The, uh, the man yeah, who... Yeah, that's, that's a joke. Oh. All right. Hey. <laughs> so, good you're... retort. <laughs> During a recent visit to Entertainment Weekly Radio with co-star Bryce Dallas Howard, Chris Pratt revealed that it was none other than the Spider-Man Homecoming star Tom Holland who spoiled the entire plot of this movie for him. The young actor spilled the beans while he and Pratt were working on the same lot shooting their respective Marvel projects. As for how he became privy to the top-secret details of the blockbuster franchise... Pratt shared, Tom, of course, knows director Jay Bayona because of the film The Impossible. Tom was a young guy in that movie. Soon after, Jay Bayona gave Holland a detailed account of the storyline, and he shared every detail with Pratt. 
He told me the whole story. So I heard it right from Tom Holland first. And then when I read the script, I was like, yeah, he wasn't with, messing with me. This is all real. Yeah, Tom Holland is known for not being able to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. To the point where they always have him. Uh, there's a couple guys in the MCU that they have to have other actors with them as minders when they give interviews. Yeah. And he's one of them. They usually put him with Benedict Cumberbatch, who will shut him up if he's saying too much. <laughs> Yeah, I think Hawkeye is the other one who who will shut him no, down. No, it's uh, shoot, uh, Bruce Banner. Oh, okay, yeah, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, Mark Ruffalo is the other one that uh, will let us will shoot his mouth off if they don't stop him. Nice, and Lucy apparently. Yeah, <laughs> and the dog. <laughs> I didn't get to the mutant time. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, first viewing for any of us? Me. Yes. Nope. Saw it in the theater. Yep, for me. So, I, I don't know. You don't know? My first instinct is Bryce Dallas Howard. You know, Claire, why are you trying to save these things? They tried to eat you. She, uh, in, my, in my mind, she would be the last person that is trying to save the dinosaurs. I don't know. I think she kind of had a journey in the first one and came around to... She, she kind of had the same character development that Hammond did in the first one, like from capitalist exploiting them to someone that wants to be a conservationist and protect them. And I think there is a lot of, hey, let's take the same themes from Jurassic Park 2, but try to do them better. Because you've got that same thing. is like the person who is hardcore business person in the first movie becomes the animal's protectors in the second. And then, of course, you've got the ending, which is similar in a lot of ways, except we get a very odd set of twists, which I have lots of feelings about. We'll get there. Hmm. Well, it's like initially, you know, dinosaurs kind of aren't real other than as, uh, you know, fossils. And so it's like, okay, quick way to make a buck. We'll clone them and you'll have a theme park. But then you realize that they're living, breathing creatures. And just because they, a lot of them want to kill you doesn't mean that they're not, you know, at this point have a right to exist. So some, some people realize that other people just still think of them as a possession. Yes. And yeah, that's one of the big themes in the first and second Jurassic worlds. It's like now the cat's out of the bag. Everyone not only knows that dinosaurs are real, but it's gotten to the point where people are getting bored with them. And they're just seeing them as basically Disneyland rides. And this is kind of the uh, both sides of the like, it's dangerous to do that. And it's not ethical to have that sort of perspective. And they hit you with both barrels, both sides of that particular argument, pretty hard in this one. Yeah, honestly, I thought this one was really interesting. Uh, you have again uh, mirroring Jurassic Park two. You've got the kind of two teams thing with a betrayal for our heroes, uh, kind of left off on their own. Now, here it's even more uh, direct in terms of the betrayal because they arrived with the quote unquote second team that turned on them and left them there to die. Mm -hmm. But it, the aims of the second team were the same. God, grab the dinosaurs, take them to the mainland to do to make money off them. And they didn't wait at all either. They turned on them pretty quick. In fact, I'm pretty sure uh, Chris Pratt should have died for the amount of stuff that he got straight into his chest from that trank dart. Oh, not <laughs> the trank dart, like the uh, fall off the cliff into the water. At that height, it's concrete. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He goes splat. Yeah. But hey, it's fine. Like, we see that in action movies all the time. But yeah. he's like Frank the Tank. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, we're watching this, and 
when he's when he's half paralyzed and trying to get away from the magma and the oh lava. my god well, that was funny it was funny but at the same time you know one of the girls was like how hot is that and i'm like right. probably 12 1200 degrees have you ever lit cat litter on fire yeah it's like that <laughs> but it's it was like it that. was really entertaining though i will give it that that, yeah. that was one of the laughs i had during the movie yeah another was... good one was when when they were getting in the helicopter and the kids like we are not compatible yeah, <laughs> it's nice that the sequel they're taking basically every surviving character from the entire franchise and they're going to be in the next one nice like yeah all of the heroes from this one that made it out they're going to be in the next one i have in here with the going with uh the physics and how nature works thing i took a note down that uh owen grady goes to the the mummy two school of running and outrunning that uh wall of ash that's coming at him from behind because of uh, what was it in the mummy too, when the he's running with the kid and they're outrunning the rising sun. Oh yeah. And it's worse than that. Cause like if we're going to be nitpicky about how, where they should have died, like that, that cloud of ash is much hotter than the magma. Oh yeah. That flash fries you from the inside out. When you breathe it in your lungs cook. And then they fall off the cliff and death by snow globe. <laughs> oh and right after that like the uh bit of trivia that didn't make it into our trivia the brachiosaurus that you see die is confirmed by the director to be the same brachio in the first jurassic park where they say oh it's a veggiesaurus yep that's what makes that all that much more of a gut punch when she rears up and it's like holy shit you know yeah, that actually, what I mean, even for for a scene that was made to be emotionally uh, manipulative, it was still pretty pretty sad. I was like, oh. Well, I mean, especially considering the time between the original and and this one, you know, when when we all well, when we saw the original, you know, we were fairly young still, and it was pretty impressionable. It was a big deal, and then here it is. Now we're all adults. We have kids of our own. You know, I'm going to see it with my kids, and it's like. Oh, there's the death of my childhood. You know, it's kind of adds to the emotional gut punch in a way. Mm -hmm. Which is why they had it take that stand, you know, that, that stance, just like the one did in the first movie. Yeah, yeah it's it, 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 it admittedly for a bunch of CGI dinosaurs. It it worked. It, it's it the implication. It's to. the implication that this is that exact same brontosaurus is what they're trying to you know do to your heartstrings. Right, and that's the thing is you can guess that, but then like asked in interviews afterwards, it's like yeah, that was absolutely the same one. And it was a brachiosaur. That uh, brontosaurus don't exist anymore. They're called apatosaurs now. I was pretty sure I said brachiosaurus. No, no uh, he's Patrick talking. Said, he's talking to oh, me. Yeah, Patrick yeah. said you got it right. He didn't. Don't you fucking correct me. <laughs> that's that's Joel's thing. He's a corrector. I am tonight. Uh, apparently director and the stomper yes even though i just stomped on Josh. i'm sorry i know uh from the moment i saw uh rafe spall uh who i think of as uh great value ryan gosling mm -hmm. <laughs> um i was like yeah that dude's evil oh right out of the gates you get the evil feel from him it's, it's like he is he is way too like trying to be charming and he looks like hitler's wet dream <laughs> Well, and he does play, I mean, he plays bad guys pretty, pretty often. Uh, so kind of a, kind of a giveaway, I guess. Yeah. I mean, not as much of a giveaway as Toby Jones showing up. I mean, you know, some <laughs> shit's going down, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> He's the most unassuming guy, but when you, when he shows up, you're like, now things got evil. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I, uh, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll take any reason to kind of go back to Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And they they definitely made it once again and a fun ride and a 
a bit more it was better done than than the lost world i think uh, for sure i'm i'm kind of impressed yeah. oh. i'll say about how franklin got around in this movie cuz he gets pulled to the, first off they make that goofy jump from the dock to the boat nobody notices yeah, that was my my biggest thing. It's like, how did not a single person notice that? <laughs> how, how does not a single person notice that? And how do they make that jump with absolutely no lift? Yeah, no ramp, no lift, and then you know, no traction. And but suddenly everything just works because it needs to. Yeah, and then she puts the, on a hat. Not- nobody recognizes her. The noticing it, I don't see such a big deal because that's a huge operation. And most of them are just like, well, I, there's like, I don't know, 60 people here. I don't fucking know everybody. Well, I'm just saying, though, like, try, try to do that on a ferry and see who doesn't notice. Sure. Oh, okay. I, I was more addressing the fact that once they got on there, until the couple of people who had interacted with them directly and knew that they were leaving them to die on purpose ran into them face to face nobody seemed to notice they were around mm-hmm. and, and i kind of love that franklin uh he reminded me of uh in the it crowd oh. <laughs> uh, you know where yeah where moss they're at the theater and all of a sudden <laughs> yes. moss is behind the bar <laughs> just serving drinks he doesn't know how he got there <laughs> that was franklin throughout most of this movie yeah and when when he when he shows up in the lab you know, yeah. right behind um right behind what's his name dr Wu. dr Wu. Dr. yeah it's, it's like go get go get the lobotomy kit it's like yes sir he's got his team evil shirt he's taken from somewhere on and i liked the um the fact that they turned woo evil well woo it's really interesting because woo is one of those characters that he is amoral rather than evil he cares about the science he is the uh Sort of personification of the you thought you worried about whether you could without asking the question of whether or not you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point he's a hundred percent, you know, in it for the money and to see what he can create in his lab. You know, and he works hard for it. <laughs> he's just like fuck science. I'm just gonna make horrifying creatures with a bunch of DNA that I have access to and endless money. Now speaking of evil. So what's his name goes up there and kills James Cromwell. So Eli goes upstairs. He kills him. The heart monitors wait until the granddaughter gets into the room to go off. The way I read that was, I think, and I had that same issue, but I was like, in my mind, I was like, I guess the finger thing wasn't properly connected until she shook him. And then it kind of jostled into place. I'll buy that. Yeah. My other thing is, okay, so he's dead. Benjamin Lockwood is dead. Iris, the nanny, comes into the room. Oh, what's going on? Oh, he's dead. Yep, he's dead. You're fired. Yeah. You, you can go now, but what? I, no, you should leave right now. Can I at least get a letter of recommendation? I don't care. Can, <laughs> can, I, can I get my thing? No, you you need to go can, right now. Can I pack? You're out of here! <laughs> can I take a dinosaur with me? <laughs> just, just one little embryo? Yeah, I'll I, ride it home. Most of these <laughs> things are things that are like standard action movie. I, I think the more interesting question, the thing that I, I struggle with how I feel about is the whole issue of Maisie. Because the entire big reveal, in addition to a bit of retcon for like, they don't directly contradict anything, but when they talk about how, okay, here's where the genesis of the entire project was, not... Site B. It didn't just start with Hammond. And we're going to write in this additional conflict with human cloning. 
And that was a step too far for Hammond. Mm-hmm. Not the John Hammond I know from Jurassic Park 1, because human clon- cloning is so much more lucrative than dinosaur cloning. Dude should have been all over that shit. Which, I don't know if they were trying to... Because the, the character of John Hammond in the books is a lot more of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not a very good guy, uh, although he's dead by the in the Lost World. He dies in the first part of the book, but... Uh... I don't know if they were trying to, because it seems. But once you cast Richard Attenborough, you've you've decided, all right, we're gonna less, we're not gonna make this guy so much of an asshole because I don't think he could possibly be an asshole. Well, and that's the thing that kind of makes it feel like it's a poor decision on the screenwriter's part because the John Hammond in the series, I don't feel like that would be the direction he would take. I could see him. They should have cast motherfucking Charles Dance. I could see B.D. Wong, Dr. Wu, doing some shit like that. Damn, Charles Dance is uh, Hammond. That would be... Yeah. I, you know, I agree with you when it comes to John Hammond of Jurassic Park 2. But remember, while he kind of sees the error of his ways, he is still a, like, Dr. Moreau meets Walt Disney in the first movie. And I don't know. I, I think that if uh, he could see the profit potential in human cloning, I, I, it's a little hard for me to swallow. Well, that I think that it, was the bridge too far. If this is also the same character who had the turn of heart, you know, and kind of turned his money on the capitalistic side for Jurassic Park two, he already had a nugget of a soul that maybe retconning that to say the nugget of that soul wouldn't allow human cloning is permissible at that point. DNA. Okay, then why did if he had such a big moral problem with it, why didn't he blow the lid off of that? I mean, he's not adverse to money. He just doesn't want to make it in certain ways. He wants enough distance to be able to wipe his hands of it, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily make him a completely moral person. I mean, he can still be amoral, but not quite so evil. I, I'm just saying there are things that I can forgive because they're in genre mm. conventions. Uh, if James Bond can survive Stupid Falls and if uh, various other action characters can outrun Fireballs, okay, that's something that I, I can... You're watching this kind of movie, you know what you're getting into. But then you get into this character and it's like you're going to toy with the implications of what this character is, but it feels like that wasn't all the way thought through. And maybe when we get to the third one, I'll feel differently about it, but I have this little, just this little wiggy twinge about there's just one of her. They never tried it again. John Hammond knew about it, never told anybody. It's a bit much because it's beyond just the suspension of disbelief I get for this is a popcorn action movie. Yeah, and it could be just one of those things that somebody wrote as a interesting plot point and did not at all think about the ramifications. Yeah, and that's that's kind of my fear. I hope that there is a satisfactory explanation of some of because we don't we don't need to be turning Jurassic Park into Westworld for sure, for sure. But I mean, that's the direction they went with Maisie, right? So maybe we'll get some answers to the questions, even if they're not ones that completely satisfy me when we get to the third one. Mm. Now, so then they have this new raptor that they the Indoraptor that they design to as basically a giant dinosaur assassin. We're going to laser pinpoint you. Now, if I was the guy in that crowd... The OP dinosaur. Yes. It's a RoboCop moment. It is. When they like put, Ed 209. When, yeah, when he puts that laser on that one guy and the, the raptor, Indoraptor leaps at him inside the cage, I would have triggered off every bodily function at once. <laughs> I mean, Don't they you basically... put that devil on me, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> They're weaponizing him, you know? Yeah. Uh, now, I... 
I kind of think that this movie would have done a lot better if it was actually R-rated movie. You can get some of this blood going because there was <laughs> so many things that were could have had a lot more gravitas of deaths of people if it had been they had given a little bit more freedom. If they had not happened behind a car, behind a car, or just angled right, like the ding dong who shoots the Indoraptor with two trank darts and then goes in to get his tooth. What yeah. are you thinking? Well, I mean, they're not ma- they're making horror movies PG thirteen. Uh, it's an unreasonable ask to say let's take a big budget action film and cut off that large portion of our audience. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, other things I noticed uh, when systems tech guy sits down at the computer he starts typing in pseudo commands it's a linux system yeah but at least he didn't say it i know right i just figured that was a little nod (laughs) yeah little wink and a nod another big question i have here is so claire wants to save uh owen winds up on the roof with a gun that it, it tells the indoraptor what to attack how the hell, after being gored in the leg with that horn, does she get from the demo area where they had all the displays up back down to the auction area and then all the way up to the roof? Well, she was no longer wearing high heels. Right. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Com- compared to all the things she ran away from in high heels in that's the first movie, that's completely fine. The fact yeah. she was wearing flat shoes, 100%. She's totally fine well, then. You remember Ron Howard's illustrious career as an action star. She just gets it from her dad, you know? That's a joke. Am I okay. going to have to start flagging Narrator these? voice. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't, in fact, a joke. Um, well, you guys briefly touched on the Indoraptor. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have watched the the Jurassic Park Camp Cretaceous show on Netflix. It's designed oh, for yeah, kids. It, 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 I play it 24-7. It's surprisingly dark, but and it's I really, really Pat's good. I lying. It's really good show, but there is another, the E-570 is another uh, creation of Dr. Wu, who is also in the show, and they crossed it with a scorpion. It's called the Scorpius Rex, and uh, yeah, it's 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 as bad or worse than this one. Scorpius but, Rex, really? Yeah. I, I'm kind of glad that they've said that uh, one of the reasons for the way they handle the ending is because they're getting away from the hybrids. Because we've kind of seen all the combinations of the dangerous dinosaurs that uh, it's like, where do you go from here? Like at this point, like you try to up raise the stakes again and it's just going to feel a little stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're making practically the Megalodon. It's the Maisie Raptor. That's what's next. <laughs> so we get to the ending where all of a sudden the surviving dinosaurs, there aren't very many of them, but they are now running around on the mainland. Well, before we get to that, the gas is escaping in the room. It's going to kill all the dinosaurs, so she unlocks all the pens. Now the dinosaurs are running around. Why didn't she just open the big door and not let them out? Because she sees that she's the same kind of thing uh, that they are. No, 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 not not the stupid kid. Uh, Claire. Claire opens up all the doors and the, the dinosaurs Only to let them die running around area. instead of inside the cages. Why didn't well, you just open the big door and air out the place that way? I Leave think him. that they were trapped between poison gas and fire. Like either they burn <clears throat> to death or they die from gas. Like the but, only thing that you could open is the path that leads outside. The Lockwood Estate itself had fencing. I don't know why they just didn't turn the Lockwood Estate into a refuge for the land-based dinosaurs. At least you can at least keep them penned up. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's not like dinosaurs are known for escaping when you bring them places, right? <laughs> and then, I don't think dinosaurs are known for much because they're you know they're, 
They're extinct. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what they can do? Maybe they all were purple. Literally everyone. Thing. If you saw Jurassic oh, that, World One. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, that's the thing is at this point, dinosaurs are not a secret and like yeah. The, yeah. people are collecting Jurassic Park shirts because they know that the uh, dinosaurs uh, escaped that park too, like on eBay. Oh yeah, I remember that from the from the, the previous one. So yeah, so okay. Never so mind. Maisie hits the button and releases them because they're just like me. No, Maisie, you haven't eaten anybody. That you know of. Yeah, maybe she did. Maybe she was feasting on Doctor or John Hammond after, you know, nobody was looking. I just I just think at one point or another, if Owen Grady had looked around and been like, what are you thinking? You know, a little bit less of the <clears throat> you do this and you can't go back type of thing. And this is the stupidest idea you've ever had. Letting these things loose to now. Now they're running around the suburbs. You've got Velociraptors in Las Vegas, which honestly sounds like a great movie to me. But <laughs> so... You know how I like to like turn my brain off when I'm watching movies. I don't want to figure things out. I just want to go on the ride, all that kind of crap, right? I like the second that James Cromwell had the book in his hand and he was looking at pictures. I'm like, okay, this girl's a clone. She's not her daughter. <laughs> like, I was like, and when the, I was like, this was not a twist at all. It was never a big reveal. I was like, and I hate when I like it was so obvious. Oh, when huh. when he mentions, oh, you're a mirror image. Yeah, yeah. That's I even have that in my notes. Mirror image, clone. Yep. See, yeah. See, that was it. Wasn't a huge shock to me, but I didn't call clone early. I was like, they're not showing who her mother was. Who who could she be? Is she another character we know? Yeah. Um, that, I just, for a long time, that's that's where I was going with it. So while when it uh, when it was revealed, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. As soon as yeah. he said that, I was like, in a movie about people cloning dinosaurs, you have this granddaughter that has no mom type of thing and iris mm-hmm. was super protective of her you know at i i call I, i'm with that same scene where he's got his little book and she was trying to sneak to look at the picture type of thing no the very first time like because they pulled the book out twice the okay. very first time when, when, when was the first time they said the mirror image line though so oh okay the second time was he was sleeping and uh, woke up right. when she tried to pull the picture out yeah okay so josh you were saying now they're loose in the city I mean, so while there aren't very many of them, yeah, they are loose basically across the United States. Uh, like I say, we see pterodactyls in Las Vegas. See the um, big fish thing eating surfers. <laughs> yeah, right. Sore. Well, yeah, and he got out on his own. Like he he didn't need a ride to the mainland. Like even if the rest of them were dead, the mosasaur he was he was going to be the last dinosaur if they just let the rest of them die. Because if you remember, he was he got out in the opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He the escaped very Andrew, which was a great scene, by the way. And that's another. Except one for why did the rib bone get so small by the end of the movie? Because like they it shaved was a big it, old rib bone. Because they kept taking pieces off of it. Okay, I guess that makes sense. All right, well, all right I'll allow it. All right, eh, that works. <laughs> that works. Well, thank well, you. And the bone getting smashed at the end—the way people have been doing when I try to talk tonight. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of the uh it is the hey we're done with hybrids uh now we're going back to basics uh dinosaurs can be scary if they are unleashed on an unsuspecting populace and that's where we're going for this uh next one the the last one to wrap up the two trilogies i say last one but you you can never count on that like if they keep Mm -hmm. making money great well the cartoon's about to hit its fourth series season and they're already talking i think of possibly you know more with this so oh it, it's a money maker you know well all right i think it's time for thumbs up thumbs down patrick 
I strangely wasn't ready for this. Uh, <laughs> let me think about it. Come back to me. All right. Joel. Uh, well, I, I'm a huge fan of dinosaurs. I love these movies, so it's a definite thumbs up on both for me. Josh, how about you? You know, even though the first one um, was not great, uh, I'm going to give it a thumbs up based on uh, changing my mind because I thought I was going to have to suffer through Jurassic Park 2 for the second time. And while there were, it was deeply flawed, it actually surprised me that it was better than I remember. So that earns it a cautious thumbs up. And it's actually a big thumbs up for uh, Fallen Kingdom. I give it a thumbs up for the first one or the Lost World. I'm in the same boat as you. I was expecting it to be a lot worse than what I saw. And I, what I got out of it was a decent dinosaur chasing people down popcorn movie. And for the fact that I'm anticipating the third one, I'm going to give the second one a th- thumbs up also. Patrick, you ready? Are you yeah, ready, Pat? I, I, th- I think simply because I don't really want to give either one of them a thumbs down, I have to give them both a thumbs up. Well, all right. So there you go. Our words on dinosaur movies, the sequels. All right, so if uh, you want to leave us a voicemail or 10, <laughs> you can do that by uh, give us a, giving us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep, and again, if you're looking for our back catalog of shows, you can find them on your favorite podcast apps, such as Podbean. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear about it, so leave us a review on Apple, Google, or Amazon Podcasts. You can also support us through the Kofi link that's in the show notes and help us keep the uh, hosting costs at bay. Joel, what do we have planned for the next couple of weeks? Oh, wait, I, I, I wasn't ready for this. Uh, no, we're <laughs> going to be talking up. about uh, fried food, something uh, we're very unfamiliar with. So we're having to do some research on that. Gonna uh, we're going to be foods. <laughs> going to be discussing the Elmore Leonard uh, Get Shorty from 1985 and the recent uh, series. And uh, in the near future, we'll be taking a trip to Fantasy Island. Nice. The plane. Once we get past that, we're getting into a very special time, our countdown to our 400th episode. And for that, we're going to need your help. We are. Uh, Along with the show notes, there is going to be a link and uh, also a place you can just fill it in right there on the show notes if you're on a computer. We want questions from you guys. Show 400, what do you want to know about us? We've already got about half a dozen questions sitting in the cache right now that we're going to go through between now and then, figure out how we're going to build out that show. But definitely leave us an idea, leave us a question, and uh, we'll give you a call out on the show. Yeah, stuff that maybe wouldn't make a whole show or just random questions you have that we, you know, there's might want to answer. The, out of the six, there's some questions in there already that could probably fill up an entire show with the way we talk. <laughs> well, yeah, we get six questions. We'll stretch out 90 minutes. That That's going to happen. We talk for 90 minutes about furniture. We could do Indeed. this. <laughs> It's but true. yeah, if you want to be a part of it, like I said, 400 is a pretty big milestone. I know we stopped publishing the show numbers uh, with the shows, but uh, yeah, we've been around for a while and we want you to be a part of number 400. Yep. So again, looking forward for your ideas and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Yeah, buddy, you got a lot of puke in your beard. This one is for all the geeks with freak physiques and weak old weeks.
you heard of freaks? Everybody better listen to the words I speak. Geeks, dogs, tweets, freaks and nerds. March together and take up the standard. It's time to make up your mind before you join the cause or get left behind. It's nature of prominence. It's evolution. So come on and join the nerd revolution. Cause we refuse to choose to lose We'll truth and use a doctor who 